Hello and welcome to the AI Artifacts Podcast, a podcast about the scale, the scope, and the steady drumbeat of artificial intelligence developments in the world today. I'm Brian Warmoth with my co-host Sarah Luger, PhD, for a journey under the hood, beneath the hive, and into the fray to see where opportunities are emerging, what's getting reshaped, and who's really saying what in the ocean of buzzwords flying around right now. Welcome back to episode three of the AI Artifacts podcast. Sarah, this is a big week in the Bay Area and San Francisco for AI enthusiasts, was it not? It was a huge week. <laughs> there was definitely a buzz. OpenAI has got the region in a excitement, tsunami of emotion, and interesting engineering uh, announcements again. With competitor announcements from none other than Grok, the new ex-Twitter uh, competitor right uh, which we probably won't get into as deeply today but <laughs> I, I wanted to yes, hear from you yeah, no, yeah. yeah I, I was curious if you could just start out and maybe share what you thought the relevance of this week's developer day and related activities was like totally okay so for our viewers basically what happened is that there was a developer day on Monday now developer day for OpenAI was a event with announcements about changes, product releases, kind of a, a heads up to people who care about what they're producing of what successes they've had and what they're thinking about for next moves. Mm -hmm. So you may hear of Google I.O. or the Apple um, big releases the where you have the CEO. Days, yeah. Yes. You, you have a, a CEO give a talk and, and there's a flurry and all of the big uh, tech magazines talk about what's going on. So in anticipation of this, Elon Musk announced his uh, version of OpenAI, which is kind of a, a bad comedy chatbot, but that but it has a niche and it's trained on Twitter data, which makes it more like a Tay, which was one of the early examples of a chatbot that maybe does not produce information that's safe for work or uh, small children. Right. The, the but... argument is that it's reading real time <laughs> data, real time conversations, yes. so it knows more about up to the minute stuff. You know, the maybe debatable yeah. end of that is is Twitter the best source of that still? For depends. Maybe if you like that output, that's what you want. But yeah, that's exactly. That's and I think right. still might be still might be the bigger question because I think that Twitter has changed. And the amount um, and the the focus has changed. Sure. So I think that Grok might be a great fun tool for its audience. But OpenAI had several announcements for an enterprise corporate community. Here are the main announcements from the event. OpenAI has announced an enterprise marketplace. It is not clear as of yet what that entails, but think of it as something akin to a Apple uh, store where developers can sell their uh, tools that are based on OpenAI's technology. OpenAI has said that GPT-4 will be using a larger context window. And so that means their offering will bring in more information to build their chatbots. They're also selling, they're, they're reducing the prices, notably, and they're selling for $2 million in uh installations for enterprise customers of Which is their what you're talking own about, about chatbots this, yeah, exactly these custom installations based on their based on their enterprise data which you could have done before but now they're offering this as an end-to-end -end solution and so i do want to note that open source solutions uh there are multiple competitors out there to open ai mm -hmm. this has not been impossible but what open ai is trying to do is become the top to bottom offering mm -hmm. for a customer, especially a larger one who says, I need a chatbot that can answer questions mm -hmm. about my product. Yeah. Their own custom generative pre-trained transformer, right? Is that? Yes. Yes. I and the, in the past week, yeah, yeah I know it, it's, we could go deep into that yeah. technology, but I do <laughs> get a okay. smile from my youth. <laughs> but I do want to note that over the past couple of weeks and with Thomas's conversation, we mentioned some open source offerings. And I think what OpenAI is noting with their uh, new products is that cost savings from open source offerings may not be 
pronounced and they could be more expensive if you are bringing in a consulting team to turn your data into something that is a, a enterprise chatbot. Yeah. I mean, if you're serving enterprise customers, you're going to try to find layers of extra things you can sell them to build out the packages that they're 100%. getting from you, right? That's the natural course of this type of business exactly. development. Yeah. So this was a, a mature offering, lower prices, more solutions, and uh, more enterprise solutions. And then finally, OpenAI has promised to defend enterprise and developer customers from copyright infringements and bear any legal costs mm. of uh, copyright cases brought against companies for using LLMs that individuals feel use their data in the trading. That sounds like a response to something I would guess that they've heard back from potential clients about as a as a key worry, right? Which, uh, how, how, yeah, how, yeah. how relevant do you think that is to this being palatable to new customers? I think that this shows a maturity of the market where larger non-AI companies are looking at this realm and it seems leading edge, maybe a little too edgy for them to enter, but if they have the legal support, because, you know, there's many, many folks in media who have been uh, suing, saying these systems are built on my text. They're built on my images. Mm -hmm. And so I think that this is the sort of defense OpenAI needs to move forward. I, I think it's great that they're promising that from a business perspective. I think that there's legal challenges that are going to shake out, and I'm not sure exactly where those will go. But yeah. We can see one emerging change this week in a different news story. Yeah, let's, let's talk about that. I also want to put a pin and, and note that you know we've got a guest coming up I'm really excited about uh, in two episodes from now, I believe, uh, who's going to get into some of these creative implementations a little more with us, uh, and I'm excited about it. And also, copyright is one area that I'm particularly really fascinated about, given the Me too. established limits on being able to copyright generative AI uh, creations right now, uh, it poses a lot of really in interesting challenges for companies and creators. So, but, but yeah, let's talk about the story that you referenced. Uh, I, I'm assuming you're talking about the Hollywood actor strike ending. It's over. Yeah, it's over. We get our movies yeah. and our new streaming Great. Uh, series seasons now, right? Yeah. And our, uh, and the most beautiful people in the world get paid what they deserve <laughs> we'll see i, think I mean it's a win-win yeah yeah we'll see is it have they have they used that language uh at all I'd, I'd i'd like to know if they think they got everything they need obviously they got enough oh to... if the most beautiful people or the win-win oh the uh, most yeah. beautiful people i just <laughs> <laughs> i yeah. i think what we have here is over the past what was it 118 days and this mm -hmm. was just resolved yesterday strike ended on, thursday uh, morning thursday. officially yeah we're recording this on exactly Friday. that we have um, the writer strike, which came to an end recently. The actors strike, which made sense. You know, the, uh, the last time we had a strike, what, 15 years ago, it was about the um, concern around DVD, uh, DVD sets of TV shows, movies, garnering new revenue streams for the studios and yet not trickling down to the actors and other people involved in the production with the new emergent technology of streaming. And it's not that new, but people were getting concerned about their rights and the contracts of past, uh, past shows being uh, money generators for the studios and not for them. The, the concerns about splitting uh, profits became even more pronounced with AI. Mm -hmm. You know, the last year, AI has suddenly become real. Generative AI products have become real to a section of the population where they really only were in Mission Impossible mm -hmm. or uh, Predator or, um, you know, just sci-fi. They were just sci-fi. So uh, I believe the interesting phrase was likeness. Uh, you cannot use a likeness without compensation. There was, it came up, there was a Hollywood reporter story a week ago that said one of the sticking points after the studios gave their, you know, last best offer uh, was that they were still withholding a right to use 
schedule f performers mm-hmm. that's anybody making above minimum compensation for certain roles in tv and movies uh, they, they wanted to reuse ai scans and likenesses of these actors after their deaths without permission from the estates or compensation to the estates yeah. in certain ways and that was where the actors said sorry we got to rethink this and that that seems to be where the final hinge turned uh, and was made it possible to resolve this after that was dealt with based on what I, yeah, I think this is really important. Yeah. The, your brand is something that you would like to control. And if you're an actor, how you look inside. Yeah, that is exactly. And you know, the estate of Elvis, the estate of Muhammad Ali, the estate of, of not just the Fred Astaire's, but the, but historical figures do make money from their likeness and this would change that dynamic which i'm pleased to say that that they were able to come to um a resolution it makes me one one question i have and then we'll get to two truths in ai which i i am i'm confident i can i can i can do better with you that you can stump me yeah uh no the the big question i have is you know so we've watched uh over the past decade plus two decades even as aging singers have increasingly sold their whole catalogs toward the ends of their life. And I wonder if we would get to a point where we would see actors do something similar as they get towards the ends of their lives. And I I mean, the the business dynamics are different, obviously in entertainment with with movie actors, film actors versus uh, musicians. But uh, I, I wonder if we would see a similar trend. With AI likeness use, for instance, if you know if it, the economics would make it viable for the actor to say, "Hey, you know, I'm I'm retiring. I have 15 years at best of my life left, or less. Maybe it's time for me to cash out and make a deal." And I wonder if those deals end up being persuasive. Um, that's something I, I, I would be watching around. And I'd be interested in talking to somebody in Hollywood about if if that seems like a realistic possibility. I think that you raise a really good point. And at the end of the day, you would hope that an actor or a singer would do what was best for them and that they would have the options to assess what is best for mm-hmm. them. It does seem specifically in the music business, there are notoriously bad contracts. People are quite desperate to get signed, to get into the um, label ecosystem. Yeah. And so the bargains often come off as quite Faustian, especially initially. You and I were just talking about Taylor Swift that, over text the yeah, other day, right? We were talking and about we were Taylor like, Taylor's Swift. versions we were and whether or not that creates a motivation for Prince. studios to do a studio's version. Yeah. In a, and I, I, thought, I yeah. thought that was really an interesting point you brought up in that question. Yeah. yeah. So, okay. So here we go. Um, the music business has been a hard place from the get-go, but even... Over the last twenty years, um, in the in the uh, streaming in the streaming realm, right? So, not only could you illegally download music, but you could also you also had a lower barrier to entry. So, there's some great hits that have been viral. It just changed the business. Now, the uh, labels do have a lot of power, and you do gain things from that ecosystem. But it's been widely known that the only way many artists make money is through merch and touring. Now, Even merch is getting cut in mature, on, too. I, I don't know if you've followed this yeah. in the music yes. industry of venues trying to cut in yes. on merch sales, which is brutal if you're a musician touring and depending mm-hmm. on that. Like, that was your... Like, that was your bread and butter. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so expensive to go to any of these shows. You get all these fees. I mean... I think what Biden gained a lot of supporters by him calling out Ticketmaster. I mean, who yeah. would have thought that that was the like we universally can all get popular <laughs> issue to take on for consumers? Does, does, is there any how many people who don't work for ticket companies don't feel strongly about yeah. that when they have to go to a show, you know, to the. Yeah, you know. yeah. It's it's making us all um, excited about a bygone era, and I think that we need to. That the future is bright, and I don't like to to dwell on the past. But I do think that studios could put out their AI versions. You know, so basically, if you have sold 
your catalog to Sony, they can put out new songs similar to Taylor's version that are Sony's AI version. You know, maybe they'll call it Sunny, mm-hmm. Sunny's version, what have you. And um, I think many people would like that. I think that you can generate those on your own, but that also is a, is a completely different product. It's evocative, but it's a different product. And it kind of exemplifies exactly what's going on in AI right now. I think so. All right, Sarah, I want to uh, I want to jump into Two Truths and Lay AI. I'm going to lay out three news stories. For anybody who hasn't heard this on a previous episode, we've got two real news stories, one AI-generated news story that I've thrown in here that is, is made up. You know, cue Jonathan Frakes. We made it up. It didn't happen. Didn't exist, right? Sarah is 2-0 and o so far on these. And this is my week. I've switched things up. I've taken a slightly different strategy. And I'm going to let it rip right here. Are you ready, Sarah? I am. I think I've anticipated what your strategy might be. So I want to see we'll if that's... If, uh, we'll find yeah. out. Yeah. All right. Example one. Headline. Litverse. Oxford professor launches startup to bring Shakespeare sonnets by machines to the masses. In an exclusive interview, professional Reginald Javier of the University of Oxford unveils his latest create venture, a tech startup poised to revolutionize the world of literature through AI. Professor Javier, known for his audacious vision of AI creating Shakespearean sonnets, is taking a bold step forward with the launch of Litverse, a platform that will bring AI-generated literary masterpieces to mass readership. Quote-unquote, Litverse is not about replacing human writers, it's about expanding the horizons of creativity. AI can offer fresh perspectives, inspire new ideas, and challenge the traditional boundaries of literary expression, he explains. So there's example one. Example two. Sending an AI bot to your Zoom meetings is the latest office power move, but it's also a management mistake. The bots have infiltrated the office meeting, and it could now spell disaster for companies around the world. As AI begins to seep into our daily lives, new technology from Microsoft, Zoom, and Google now allows people to skip Zoom meetings and send robot note-takers on their behalf. The practice is still in its infancy, but has already gained some traction, according to the Wall Street Journal, and it's not hard to see why. Between scheduling conflicts, long aimless meetings, and work overload, bosses and employees alike are ready to pounce on any option that helps them reclaim some of their time. All right, now here's number three. UK royal astronomer says alien life might be mega weird AI. Inorganic intelligence is coming for us all. The United Kingdom's foremost astronomer is cautioning British citizens that if and when we encounter alien life, it may be more bizarre. Read more artificially intelligent than we could have ever imagined. In a piece for the BBC, British royal astronomer Lloyd Marin Rees maintains it's not outlandish to consider the existence of AI aliens given that we have humans we sorry given that we humans are entering an age of AI ourselves. All right, I'm going to leave it at that and I'm going to turn it over to you, but I, I I'm really I'm really okay. proud of this combination of stories. Well, I think I was correct about what you uh, were doing here that you you have taken uh, stories that have a heavy element of truth and then found a way to make them incorrect as opposed to purely con- uh, conjecture. And um, okay, um, I'll walk you through my, my logic. Lit verse, I think that's, that's possible. I totally think that someone would do that. I'm not, I'm not uh, making my choice yet. Zoom, where the robot uh, takes notes on half that's been happening, and I think that's a merge of these uh, agents in meetings and the personal agent that uh, Sam Altman and others feel that we will all have moving forward. So again, it's a confluence of two aligned, but maybe not explicitly detailed uh, concepts. And then the final one, I'm not sure... Well, of course, it has aliens, so you you expect me to not to not um, agree with it. But you know, the the there's like official royal tea and official royal biscuits, and so maybe there's that little emblem on a um, 
astronomer that does that does kind of track for yeah yeah i'm the royal astronomer and i understand what they're saying you know so like are we in the um, uh you know in some sort of what is it multiverse of then yeah i think uh number two is uh, i would do number two i think i have done number two that's but i think it's the least crazy so i think number two is the fake one i finally got a w this is my first yeah. w i'm really excited you no, got it. Uh, you got it. I, I, is it it's is it number one? Number one was the fully AI generated one. The uh, number two, okay. yeah. Number two is from. Oh my god! A, I think number two is happening. Yeah, number two is from a Fortune article from uh, no, November tenth, yeah, okay. today that we're recording this actually, and then number three okay. is from uh, the Byte. I'll put these links in the show notes. I can't even. I mean, you can't even mess with all of those bingo things. Shit. I, oh, need the, I need. I need. I need that, that GIF of the excited kid from the '90s computer like celebrating right now. That's yeah. I'm, I'm finally one and two yeah. on this. But uh, excellent. Yeah. Well, cool. I, I, I should have. I should have done for the the lit verse, <laughs> but I really, really well done on the alien. I, I regenerated I that one to that. replace the name of the startup, and I loved lit verse. I thought it was so it was yeah. it was perfect so perfect and believable. All right, wonderful. So now we're going to yeah. transition and jump Thank into you. the interview that we did last week. Uh, we have a, a really fantastic interview with a founder and uh, his head of business. Uh, please enjoy. Welcome back to another interview here at the AI Artifacts podcast. This week we're getting into some material that Sarah cares deeply about, I care deeply about, and is something that we're seeing a lot of AI applications for, and that's human to human interaction. So I'm really excited this week to welcome on uh, founder David Hoja from Parrots, which is a medical assistive AI. Uh, David has more than 15 years of experience in artificial intelligence, machine learning, and medical devices and robot engineering, digital health, and neurotech. He studied medical engineering and health management at Harvard University, and he's passionate about the social impact nature of what he's doing here. And all of the important causes that it really serves. So David, thank you. And I've got, we've also got Aaron Janklo, um, who is the CBO at, at Parrots. She's got 15 years of experience as an entrepreneur, MBA, uh, Babson social leader and international awards, I understand. Um, so Aaron was actually the one I first met at TechCrunch Disrupt a few weeks ago and was really excited to hear about what you're doing. So David, Aaron, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having us. Yeah. Let Thank you so much. We're happy to be here. This is a great experience. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Maybe you can tell me about the origin story of this company. So I met Aaron, uh, like I said, a few weeks ago. Uh, David, where did Parrots come from and what were you working on when you discovered that this was a possibility? I think I should start with my background Please. as an innovator. Yeah. I have been an innovator since... I was a kid, so I always had the passion to create things with my hand, with electronic devices, pretty much anything uh, that I can build or create or even fix. Uh, so that's me, but um, because, uh, but during that time, um, one of my uncles got spinal cord injury and he oh got uh, severe disability yeah. and then using a wheelchair and then uh, in very... Uh, critical stage and that's something in the background. Also my aunt passed away because of multiple sclerosis. So that's in the background childhood. Yeah. I didn't do much at that time, but it just, it's in my background. I know that already. I know the details. I know like the suffering, I know the pain for, from patient and family members. But then fast forward mm-hmm. uh, after uh, went to college and studying engineering and getting inspired by many people, including Stephen Hawking, um, and and then work in many companies from medical devices, robotics, uh, until my other uncle from my father got Alzheimer's, and then one of my friends he got uh, ALS, and I saw how uh, my friend after ALS changed his life after losing ability to move using his hand, and nowadays can't speak to his, to his son. So and what really inspired inspired me. Uh, when he said ALS took my voice, yeah. but not my soul. Mm-hmm. And that's like, like 
was like triggering everything from all childhood, all the background, all the technical skills, all the things like, okay, let me just put everything together. Let me work on this. Let me work in, in this mission. And that's uh, pretty much the story, like why uh, we started with this. And uh, regarding the name, I remember uh, also um, um, my uncle, the one who got Alzheimer's, uh, he had a, a, a parrot, a uh, gray parrot, like he can mimic everybody's in the house and he was very smart. So I can, I, could, I cannot tell, this is my uncle, this is somebody else. So I didn't know there was a real parrot involved the, in, the, in the founding story. That's interesting. I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so that's like, I don't know. And I saw how parrots are like very friendly as a companion for human. And like, okay, like, I can just like, because like the early days we were thinking about multiple names, like we thought about owls, eagles, but are they're not matching the, the, the purpose and the need or, and like, we, we want to have something as assistant, as a companion, as a, uh, uh, as a friend to them, like to assist them, to make them more independent, starting with communications to enable them to speak and the parrots there. So that's the reason about the names and the, the history. And from there starting, assembling the real team and then growing from there and then and <laughs> here we are well tell me tell me about what you realize obviously like we're talking about stephen hawking that's a, a figure with a device and technology that a lot of people have seen in the media or it might be their first exposure to somebody with a you know a device mediating conversation you know everybody's used to you know these these images and audio of stephen hawking working to make his uh, his device you know, give that artificial voice to speak for him out loud, right? So tell me where you saw potential for technology to take that in a better direction to do something. And maybe you could just sort of explain to me how, how it works and, and, and how it's interfaced with. Yes, regarding like um, the technology, like how, because I worked in many companies, especially mm -hmm. robotics and drones, and we involve like high tech and like AI and machine learning. I saw like pretty much like bands tech in different industry. And they were all like, I wanna leverage all the resources. Like, okay, I can integrate things. And I would just, even by doing simple research, like what is available in the market? And like, what, what, what are they using? It's very outdated system. It's very slow. Sometimes you have to wait 10 minutes to wait for a response. Sometimes it's very common response. Right. If you put, let's just not even full AI, just a bit of AI, just like a hint of uh, um, smart device there, you can predict the answer already. Like, it's, and why there people are still mm -hmm. feel like they are in the um, like old ages, and while we can use all these technologies, like how this is one of the inspiration, like bringing AI machine learning to the table mm -hmm. and leveraging those, and like even creating new things to. Uh, serve the market um and that's uh I'll, yes Aaron. i'll add in i don't know that we've actually explained specifically what it is that parrots yeah does. exactly that's so, i'm curious the role plays so to to give a little more context into all of this brilliance you know our team really looked at the problems that happen when there's communication challenges there's cognitive decline and how demoralizing it is for patients, how scary it is for their families who love them and are watching and feeling like they really want to be helping. And of course, the costs for that are also just astronomical, like the emotional costs, the physical toll, the actual financial costs, both for families, for patients, for the healthcare system, all of it. Um, and David has really found a way to say, all right, how can we use AI for the best possible greater good? And has created what I refer to essentially as like a third brain, mm -hmm. which almost acts as a personal assistant to both the care team and the patient. Um, the functionality, of course, for the care team and the patient are very, very different, which is part of what makes parrots so phenomenal um, to be to be coming onto the market right now. Um, so it helps patients. You know, we we're discussing earlier how the cognitive or communication challenges can really really impact someone's ability to feel like they are participating still in this world that they're still a part of. Right. Yeah. So so 
we've created a way to allow patients to communicate in real time, receive a higher quality of care, and be more independent in the process. Erin, this is fascinating. Are you referring to your product called Poly, which acts as a virtual assistant? I think one of the advantages of the post uh, chat GPT world is that we can say, hey, this is a product named Poly that is similar to an engagement that you would have with an interface uh, that returns information to you. But unlike a conventional chat interface, what does the what are the differences so that someone um, may communicate more more fully? Yes. So po- the product Poly mm-hmm. is um, a SaaS software that's available for all platforms. We recommend using an iPad for it. Mm-hmm. So when we look at the iPad, we've got um, voice monitoring. We have object recognition. Um, so, and many, many more things, but kind of to some of your questions. So Sarah, you were asking about like, what's a use case for the care team? We have remote patient monitoring available so it can track anomalies before they become huge problems. It can help alert the care team that, Hey, this person's breathing has actually changed, um, in a way that is unexpected or some other version of what would need to be alerted for the, for the families, you know, we have note-taking abilities so that when the, perhaps the care team and the patient are interacting and a caregiver isn't directly present to take notes, there's still that sort of recorded opportunity. And then for the patients, there is this incredible user face enabled with eye tracking, joystick, touch, really whatever it is that the patient would need. And it recognizes not only the objects in the room, not only the people in the room, but how you as the patient interact with each and every one of those things, including specific people, including strangers. Um, And because it is contextual machine learning prediction, generative AI, over time, it really starts to know how you, how someone as the patient will be interacting with the caregiver or what they might want to say to their mother or their child if they walk into the room. So one option that may not really be either of those, but if it, if it highlights a table, you can say, can you raise the height of the table for me? I'm having trouble, um, you know, reaching the, reaching my fork appropriately, whatever it could be. That's not the best of examples. To get. So how yeah how would you characterize the vol- the volume of points of context that it actually draws from to to build out this intelligence? So we build the system like starting from early days and we continue keeping that approach which is the patient centric design. So we build the system to solve real needs yeah. and like watching and observing and taking notes and making sure we are solving their problems and taking different, like looking at all stakeholders, all the people going to benefit from this. So as we said, we're targeting patients and caregivers. So that's like, we cannot separate only caregiver, only a patient. So we're taking all the inputs Mm -hmm. there. Like even like, I'll just give you an example. Mm -hmm. Like early days, we did not think about alarm system. Like we're just about the real time communications. We can add remote patient monitoring and stuff. But then one of the patients, like uh, he was, he was uh, nonverbal, he can't yeah. speak and almost completely paralyzed. And he said, I have a concern, which is what happens if there's something going on with me, how can I reach anybody? Hmm. Then, uh, okay, then how about like, uh, then uh, what about other uh, alert system modes that are out there? The, he said, nothing is reliable uh, for him. Said, oh, that's a serious problem. Okay, we need to add, like make sure we're solving this as well. And if you really think about it, that's part of our, our our communications, as you need to communicate during emergency, and like it's part of the real t- uh, remote patient monitoring. Like if there's something going on, like somebody's choking, somebody's falling, somebody like having a serious situation. Like we took that into place. We and we based on the 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 input that we got and to solve the real need uh, for them. 
And that's how we now we have a reliable alert system mode, uh, like uh, interacting with or calling the caregiver to come and check on the, on the patient. If something really serious, calling 911 directly. And that's why we took all the steps and we keep in evolving and improving uh, based on the, the thing that we see, we observe, and we listen very carefully uh, from all the, um, the people getting benefit from our uh, solutions. I see. Um, could you characterize for me which, um, so ALS is something you're looking at. What, what types of patient situations do you think this is best for right now? Yes, as of now, our batch head market, yeah. uh, we have patients with Parkinson's, mm -hmm. multiple sclerosis, ALS, and similar conditions. That's our starting mm -hmm. market. Uh, as we grow, we're going to target other uh, conditions with uh, neurological disorders, which you know, even cerebral palsy, uh, muscular dystrophy, uh, even with uh, cognitive challenges, uh, like later on, we're going to even enter a uh, 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 patient with Alzheimer's and uh, dementia. Mm -hmm. So that's, but as of now, we're laser focused about the market for uh, pretty much uh, Parkinson's and yeah. multiple sclerosis and similar conditions. I would assume, I mean, there's, there's so many variables in each of those different arenas of, 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 of um, you know, the, these conditions that people suffer from. Um, and I think anybody that's had a family member go through this and who's gone through the struggle knows exactly what you're talking about because it can be, like I said, the friction is on everybody's side, the caregiver, the professional caregiver, the family member, and the patient. Um, so what have been the best results you've seen from a beneficiary standpoint? Like who, who do you think has, has benefited the most from something that this has done that you've seen, whether it's a patient, whether it's the family member? Or, or, maybe you could, or, maybe, or maybe you could tell me, what was the first moment where you really believed in this, seeing it impact somebody's mm -hmm. care? That's a beautiful, that's a lovely rephrase. I'll have David answer his first super aha moment because yeah. it really is hard to isolate mm -hmm. who is, you know, the one person that's most affected because it really does help everyone mm. yeah, <laughs> you know, I mean, all at once. I, mean, I asked this because I had a grandfather so, with Parkinson's and I went through the journey of watching that breakdown and I've gone through those, like when I was younger, I watched my family members go through that. Um, you know, extended and even more extended period of time trying to figure out what does he need? What do we do? How can we help? And it's great when you figure it out, right? And for me, that's sort of the lens I'm trying to understand with you with this, this software solution, right? How, um, when did you know this was speeding things up or this was meeting a need that was helping people? There are many moments. There is not only yeah, one please. moment, but yeah, I will mention uh, one of, some of the moments. Uh, one, for example, a patient with multiple sclerosis after installing the, the system mm -hmm. on his device. And then now, like, uh, he could uh, speak in real time and communicate way faster than the old mm -hmm. system that he was using. And then he was saying, wow, this is uh, super damn cool. Mm -hmm. It just like, because he just saw the difference between the old system taking 10 minutes just to speak a sentence while I speak in just a matter of seconds. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's like- Minutes uh, to seconds is a huge difference. Huge for, difference. Yeah. yeah. So that's one. Then the other one from uh, uh, a nurse in a nursing home, after seeing this, like, like, like how the, the impact just after installing the system and seeing how the interface like what, what can provide to them. And she said like, oh, now I can manage multiple patients at once. And then like that's trigger multiple things for us. Like, oh, okay, then we can increase their productivity. And then like how we enable them to manage these conditions. Because we're not talking about uh, um, um, easy uh, diseases that you can manage. It's very uh, expensive to manage this condition. It's, it's required time and money, and a lot of effort to take care of these conditions, uh, especially like uh, severe conditions uh, like Parkinson's or multiple sclerosis and other neurological disorder. It's very expensive. We're talking about over 300 per, uh, per year uh, per patient. So that's like very expensive. 300,000 per, per, per patient. Year. Yeah, 300,000. <laughs> it's very expensive. Yeah, um, and thank you. I just want to add in because I um, am looking at some of our, you know, our internal like feedback that we've gotten from patients specifically. And someone with Parkinson's told us 
this product is more than just a software. It's a lifeline. And I feel like that is just, you know, I don't know at what moment we receive that feedback, but that's the type of positive feedback that really does um, encourage us to continue building. I think on the kind of opposite side, we have a caregiver who says that Polly is a game changer for caregivers. It gives us the support we need to provide the best possible care for our loved ones. Um, and I could I could go on and on, although I know we don't have time for that, but the nurses, the care team, the families, everyone is seeing this huge difference because not only are people able to communicate independently, but what does that mean? It means they're getting their needs met. It means they're receiving a higher quality of care. It means caregivers aren't guessing at what needs to happen. It just is something that is seamless and empowering. It's beautiful. You know, I, I'm a strong advocate that communication is part of our core human, um, you know, as you said, it's our spirit and anything that can facilitate that, especially using the tools um, that we're building every day, often for other less important uh, use cases is really, really powerful. So my question, uh, you know, the the flip side of of all of these great testimonials is the fact that um, AI is near the beginning of its regulation journey. And the, in part because use cases that we have, um, have been using it for are relatively risk-free, relatively. Uh, that's changing and you're in a domain that is more heavily regulated. And while the testimonials are so crucial to motivating us to do good work every day, um, I was I was wondering, you know, what are the things that you're concerned about that keep you up in that domain? You know, how are you anticipating or being uh, patient and and patients' family first in terms of uh, what the future might have? It's a heavy responsibility. Management. Sure, yeah, it is. Yep. I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll I'll answer first, and David I'll will go. come in with the. <laughs> um, with the the finale. Um, but what I would, it's a wonderful question, Sarah, and a great thing, of course, to keep in mind. I think one of the exciting uses of parrots and poly is we're not a diagnostic tool. We're not trying to replace anyone. Um, we're trying to act as personal assistance to the care team to enable better decisions to be made or perhaps more rapid decision-making to occur. Not careless decision-making, but just actual more efficient communication, right? So from that perspective, um, I think that's a really intelligent way that David has designed the product and the use cases in order to ensure that as regulations do come up, we are prepared, you know, to to meet them head on. Yes. Uh, I also want to add about the technical, from technical perspective, we made sure that everything is protected, encrypted in terms of like having the data for the patient. That's important for any medical device company, like any healthcare company, like uh, you want to be a reliable company. That's like ABC pretty much. That's for sure we, we're taking this. Um, like uh, very seriously and even like about the AI part and how we make sure we provide the best uh, AI not bias or like not having certain errors we always keep tracking and checking how about our model if there is any anything because there is no even in in this uh, world there is no perfect model out there do not tell me there is an, a model without no flaws so we keep track, we keep checking, we keep update, we improve every day. We are we are investing a lot in this because that's um, what we need to, and we'll be a good example, not just as for as a medical device company, as 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 a great company with uh, with ethics and uh, responsibilities uh, that we need to provide and uh, be a role model uh, as a leader in the space, and and that's what what we want we want to be. Um, from technical perspective, from business perspective, management and everything that we do and how to leverage AI in the process. 
And I'm going to be less humble than David and say that's not what we want to be. That is the product that David has been literally working his whole life to build. So, yeah, let me, that is the goal. Clarify. <laughs> let me so let me wrap. I mean, we're getting to the 25 minute mark, and I, I want to wrap things up. Sarah, I don't know if you you want to bring up anything else on the data front. I I, I did briefly. Um, thank you. No, that it's it's nice to hear. Uh, just a holistic approach that doesn't view um, the customers, the, the and in, in these situations, customers are not always the direct customers. It's a, it's a different um, kind of engagement tool, but it's nice to hear their voices being um, in the room with the way that you're viewing these, these challenges. And relatedly, um, I, I, I have a background in NLP and I always remember there's kind of a, an era in NLP where folks were saying, did Shakespeare, we're going to analyze this text. Did Shakespeare write this or was it someone else and adjacent? And this was done with Agatha Christie. And I don't know if you've seen the research that shows her later works, uh, uh, specifically her last book had a far lower uh, unique word count um, more repetitive of um, of the words themselves. And it was, in retrospect, analyzed to show that she was in cognitive decline. And so that is almost a uh, after-the-fact kind of anecdote. But what's actionable? How can we actually take this sort of technology mm-hmm. and improve people's lives? So that's some data. My question for you then is... Um, the data that you had to collect to build these tools is different from the data that I've collected in the past for more mainstream uh, NLP solutions where correctness and um, variation is important, but you're actually looking for behaviors that are different from these more mainstream behaviors. Could you tell me a little bit about that data collection um, journey, you know, and, and maybe, also the the goal of the issue of time, since not all of these folks that you're working with have a lot of time. And so you want to have a solution that works for them very quickly. So we, we try to be holistic as much as we can and getting a lot of, uh, a lot of feedback uh, from different patients, from different backgrounds, different places. As if, this is like, we, and we keep spending a lot of time and money uh, regarding, and uh, this is nonstop journey. Like, um, even if you're uh, um, biggest company in the world, they're, they're still like uh, working on that. So that's like uh, we have been investing our time to get all the col- collection of data like from different places and um, different languages, different uh, beliefs or cultures, yeah. uh, different things. We, we, because that's, it really matters when we, when we go into details and how the response is, because at the end of the day, we want to provide the personalized care. We, we don't want to just bring a machine or jump sort of uh, normal AI model just to assist them. We want to implement their action, their behavior, their personality, because at the end of the day, it's not just about disability or um, uh, there's personality, there's human uh, behavior there need to be showing in the process. And we really take that seriously because that's one of the um, um, advantages um, for our product compare uh, many solutions out there in the market that using just a standard model, the, you, you don't feel there is kind of a soul or spirit or uh, um, personality um, in um, many solutions out there in the market. I think it's a good good way to phrase that, and it, I I respect what you're doing intensely there. And I to, to Sarah's point, yeah, it's it's got to be a lot of pressure to be able to provide that result in an individualized case. In yeah, but um, let me wrap this Thank up. Thank you. We're, Thank you. Yeah. I, Thank. I also wanted to say that I have a friend who suffered from ALS, and I really do appreciate you focusing on this because it's. Uh, it's really important. So thank you. Uh, we're, we're getting Thanks. up on the half hour mark. So I, I just wanted to leave with this and ask you, David, uh, or and curious to hear your perspective too, Aaron. So like, David, this has been a long journey for you getting everything to this point. And you obviously have a, you know, a larger vision ahead. What's sort of your horizon or kind of grail moment for an outcome for what, you know, 
poly and parrots can do that you're what that you're really trying to work for right now and what do you see ahead as sort of your what 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 will be your biggest success story that you would envision and, and wish for right now many things yeah. but one of the things i would say uh being a leader in the space to help um all people with the neurological disorders and even beyond. We're not just limited yeah. with neurological disorders. Makes Later sense. on, if you can expand and grow different markets and helping other patients and conditions, why not? So definitely want to um, use all my, our passion, skills, talent to um, make the world a better place and um, making those people to be really independent, really free as, you know, as birds. <laughs> I like that. And in order to do that, we just need a quick plug that we are currently raising a seed round, and we are always looking for more patients. We're working with nursing homes. We're working with, um, we're moving into working with veterans and different hospitals. So if anyone here who has been listening would like to help us get to our vision of really Providing this product to children, to adults with Parkinson's, to grandparents with dementia, um, so that we can continue to be leading in this space from this heart-centered, thoughtful, really intelligent, really compassionate approach, please reach out. We would love to discuss partnership opportunities or investment opportunities as well. And what would be the best place to reach out to you? You can reach um, us, David at FlyParrots or Aaron at FlyParrots.com. Or our website too. (laughs) Which is FlyParrots.com. Excellent. (laughs) That's what I was getting to. Thank you. Thanks for for getting that in there, Sarah. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much. This was a fascinating journey to hear about. And I I really appreciate your perspective on this. And I also appreciate the scale of the the work you're taking on. So um, thank you. Uh, have a wonderful week and uh, look forward to seeing more of what you're doing. Yes, thank <laughs> you so much. We appreciate it. Thank you for having us. That's a wrap on this week's episode of the AI Artifacts podcast. Thanks for tuning in. And we hope you'll visit us at AIartifacts.net. There you can subscribe to our Substack show notes newsletter and discuss anything you just heard. If you like what we're doing, we'd love for you to subscribe to this podcast and rate us on your platform of choice. The show is produced by Brian Wormuth and Sarah Luger. The music on the show is from Vanishing Horizon by Jason Shaw and is used under a Creative Commons Attribution 3.0 United States license.